All right. Welcome back to the podcast. End of the week of March 20th, 2022. It is the third Sunday in Lent, and we are beginning in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, starting in verse 1. About that time, some people came up and told him about the Galileans Pilate had killed while they were at worship, mixing their blood with the blood of sacrifices on the altar. Jesus responded, Do you think those murdered Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans? Not at all. Unless you turn to God, you too will die. In those 18 in Jerusalem the other day, were those worse citizens than all other Jerusalemites? Not at all. Unless you turn to God, you too will die. Then he told them a story. A man had an apple tree planted in the front yard. He came to it expecting to find apples, but there weren't any. He said to his gardener, what's going on here? Uh, for three years, I've come expecting apples, and not one have I found. Chop it down. Why waste good ground with it any longer? And the gardener said, let's give it another year. I'll dig around it, fertilize, and maybe it will produce next year. If it doesn't, then chop it down. The word of the Lord. All right, well, uh, a chipper text to start the third Sunday in Lent on. Uh, I've never preached this text before, and it's an incredibly complicated uh, text to talk about it, so I look forward, as always, to our our discussion uh, Sunday at Mission Hills. This podcast episode is entitled, Religion is for Lovers, which is a quote from the theologian John Caputo uh, in his book on religion. And this text is difficult to understand from both a historical perspective and, I think, a parabolic perspective. Uh, Just to talk about off the top, this text has been uh, improperly used to prop up the prosperity gospel, uh, unfortunately to explain world tragedies, and I think it's just broadly misunderstood. So I really look forward to our discussion on Sunday. Now, uh, that's not to say that I have the right answer when it comes to an interpretation of a text like this, but I think it's important to admit that uh, it's complicated, and there are uh, a variety of different ways to talk about this particular story, what's going on here, that I think will allow for a better theological approach to uh, the entire gospel narrative and the situation for this particular text during the season of Lent. And I think all of this offers a a more humble and compassionate way of living in the world um, that doesn't try to ever theologize why events happen. And we've all heard TV preachers blame tragedies on certain groups of people that they consider to be sinners, people uh, apart from God. And perhaps you've been in a church yourself or uh, a cultural context. I've been in one myself uh, that's not too dissimilar, in which someone has tried to explain a tragedy by calling it God's plan or the will of God. Um, But As we know, trying to explain historical events or why bad things happen in the world, um, it's not just a conservative TV preacher's problem. Uh, I've seen progressive Christians do this all the time, just in different ways. 
Oh, an example of this uh, comes from this week. Uh, professor uh, Joy Moore, who was at Fuller while I was there and is now a professor at Luther Seminary, said on a podcast this week, in reference to this text and the war in Ukraine, quote, if things are bad right now, just imagine what it would be if God wasn't in control. Whatever happens could be even worse if God wasn't sustaining this. She goes on later to say about current events and this parable, you've been warned where we are right now is born of not being fruitful, end quote. She's referencing this particular uh, text about the apple tree or the fruit tree. Now, I'm sure you can see that this is incredibly harmful theology, and I think an awful interpretation of this particular uh, parable. Again, not that I have all the answers, but especially whenever you take this kind of message within the larger context of the Gospels, which the message is about boundless love, mercy leading to justice, uh, you know, what she is essentially saying is there is a God who is in control, but not ultimately in control, but in control enough that things could be worse if God decided to be in less control. So if you apply this theological idea to your personal life, God is in control occasionally, if God wants to be, depending on how in control God wants to be, but you'll never know either way. And ultimately, what happens to you is a result of whether or not you perform well enough for that God to intervene in your life. Now, uh, I don't want to totally dunk on her. She's conveying an incredibly common impulse for us as humans to think at some level that our lives and the larger human narrative has a purpose and that God is in control at some level. This, I think, is incredibly natural. We see it all the time in different ways. Um, and I don't think that she's making the exact uh, mistake as the TV preacher blaming a hurricane on a particular group of people or whatever, but she is saying that what is happening in the world is at some level a consequence of God allowing certain kinds of events to occur based on certain decisions. And whenever we do this, it just gets incredibly messy. And again, it's easy to, to fall into the idea, because I think it's a part of a cultural understanding at this point that good things happen to good people, and or that people who live by a set of moral principles and values will be uh, rewarded by God at some, somehow. Uh, one of the difficulties, I think, of human life and the Christian perspective is that it treads through suffering rather than avoiding it. And I don't think that this lectionary text is indicating anything close to a mechanistic or karmic understanding of human existence. And we at some level want to think that God is in control. And when this parable in the Gospels, and I think the life of Jesus, broadly speaking, do not give the impression of a controlling God at any level. And it goes back to the, the title and the idea that I want to uh, center this uh, podcast and this week around. Religion is for lovers. And you cannot have love with a controlling God at any level. 
Now, it's just worth mentioning that the first half of this week's lectionary text, the author of the Gospel of Luke is addressing historical events that are only recorded in this particular gospel. And some scholars presume that the author is trying to reason the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and does so indelicately and depending on who you read, wrongly. So that's just at least worth mentioning that the first half of this that's in reference to these historical events is what the author of the Gospel of Luke is probably trying to do, trying to reason why these things are happening in the author's time. But it's still important to to talk about it in reference to how this text has been used, broadly speaking, within Christianity to reason how in control God is. Now, I want us to get back to this idea about love, because essentially throughout the Gospel of Luke, and when we're looking at uh, our lectionary text in the whole span of the Gospel of Luke, we get to this idea about grace generating repentance. And many of you know this, that repentance essentially means change your hearts and lives, change your heart and mind, Uh, metanoia, change your way of thinking. And we've talked about this because it was very similar to John the Baptist's call for repentance. And so it's interesting here that Jesus repeats this phrase twice. And I was reading out of the message today, and the message uses this translation of uh, turn to God, which I don't think is necessarily in this particular text the most helpful translation, even though I get what Eugene Peterson is maybe trying to do. It simply means uh, change your hearts and lives, change your way of thinking. It, it signals a kind of uh, holistic uh, transformation. But it's also worth noting, and we get into this um, in a lot of uh, progressive, progressive Christian contexts, that um, this isn't a call to be a better person. So sometimes when whenever we talk about uh, transformation, it kind of gives off the impression that it's just about transforming yourself, uh, what we've lovingly called it muscular Christianity before, that we have to sort of like fix it. We just got to be better and better and better. Uh, that is not what uh, this call is. It, I like to think of it back to that phrase that we've used uh, at Mission Hills before, epistemological humility, epistemological humility, <laughs> um, being... Uh, humble in our approach to uh, theology and our approach to life, being compassionate and kind by the way that we uh, approach how we even think about these um, really difficult theological ideas. So again, always bringing it back to the theological understanding of uh, a gospel about love, grace, and mercy. And I really want to make this point clear that to have a gospel uh, of love, grace, and mercy there cannot be elements of control. Uh, discovering um, the beauty of, of grace, like even if we just get glimpses of it, um, is, is simply that we get to experience uh, the gift of life, whatever happens, good, bad, tragic, joyous, without the need to continually figure out ways to offload what happens onto God, fate, or the universe. That at some level, the, the way of the cross, the way of Jesus, the, the Christian understanding is acknowledging our lack of control. And this gives us a tremendous amount of freedom, uh, that we have the ability to accept the gift of life, to accept ourselves, and with our various imperfections and wounds, and 
and live from this place. And when we do, we don't have to find a reason for why certain things happen. And we don't need a scapegoat to blame for certain world events or tragedies. John Caputo writes this. If we could admit how bad things are, that is the beginning of something good. This would inspire certain compassion for one another because we would understand that we're all shipwrecked. To confess the wounded and fractured condition of our lives, this is who we are. That would be the beginning of wisdom and of something good. And I think this is so spot on. Until we can recognize that we are all shipwrecked and there's no one to blame, we will at some level continue to try to, to bargain with a God who, who favors some to various degrees and dooms others to various degrees. And in that framework, there will always be a need to attempt to enact vengeance on those who are responsible for violence and oppression. The Christian way, the way of the cross, is about peacemaking, nonviolence. And I want to be careful that this, to say that this doesn't give a license for doing whatever we want or absolving ourselves and others from accountability and injustice. But I'm saying that, that radical love and grace um, connects us closer to ourselves and our others and others and, and to the planet because we're, we're viscerally experiencing um, suffering, pain, injustice, oppression. Grace generates the only kind of uh, transformation and repentance we need. And this allows us to see every moment as sacred, to see every living thing as bearing the image of God. Uh, I think about uh, when Jesus says, uh, love your enemies and do good to them, lend to them, expecting nothing in return. I think we talked about that, that verse uh, last month. Um, we have to recognize that this parable, as complicated and strange as it is, um, it, it, it fits at some level within the Gospels, and particularly in the Gospel of Luke, but it, it still subverts our conventional thinking and definitely subverts our, our Western cultural assumptions about what constitutes a good life, uh, which is usually not uh, a deep compassion for, for those that we consider enemies. Religion is for lovers. You can't have love if there's someone pulling the strings. I think Lent reminds us that following Jesus um, often doesn't make sense. It's certainly a path of descent and not ascent. The way of the cross is a life dedicated to love no guarantees. Man, that's, it's always a vulnerable endeavor. The way of the cross is a life of peacemaking, not war-making. 
And as many have said through the centuries, like, you can die for Christ, but you can't kill. Um, I think about that verse that God gives sunlight both to the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. Lent reminds us that the way of Jesus never offloads blame to the easiest target or tries to find a reason for God's intervention or lack of intervention in our crises. The beauty of life is that we are given the grace of being held by love so that we could love. We do not have a controlling God, and that is good news. And as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well. Down, down.